Thanks, Alex. Great reading, that one. Well, before we move on, let's just pray and ask God to uh, direct our thoughts. Our Lord, we, we do thank you that you do speak to us, that you are a living and active God who's a part of our lives in so many ways. We just pray that you would uh, teach us, encourage us, challenge us where necessary uh, to live a life that it's worthy of you, obey your commands. And uh, so, Father, as we look at these passages of Scripture tonight, we ask that you will once more speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Jeff Leader, part of the ministry team here. Stuart, Christmas sanity, mate. That sounds like an insane thing to do. <laughs> I can imagine our family doing that. I mean, bizarre. <laughs> it's fun. Well, it works for some families. I'm sure it'll work for others. But anyway, that's, that's great. I'm glad you get a lot out of that. <laughs> well, how's your Christmas going so far? Not so good? <laughs> It's a bit of a crazy time of year. But I just thought we'd start by looking at how crazy it can be. So let's just have a look at this quick video. Well, how's your Christmas going? <laughs> There's a message there. Don't buy your Christmas tree too early. <laughs> it will get flammable. Well, there's a kind of craziness that descends at this time of year. All the... I love this dog. All the busyness and stress that goes into preparing for interview functions, for attending parties and presentations, visiting friends and relatives, buying gifts, putting up Christmas trees and lights and decorations inside and outside the house. Busy time of year. But just occasionally we catch a glimpse of something that reminds us that Jesus is the reason we celebrate Christmas. You know, for me, I think it's a very sad reflection on our community that Christmas is becoming more and more secular and there is less of a focus on the baby in the manger. Even the word Christmas is being replaced by the abbreviated, abbreviated form of Xmas. And that kind of summed it right up for me because for the mathematically minded, or the engineering minded, X is... An unknown quantity, yeah? And it's a bit like the statue to the unknown God that Paul discovered in Athens long ago. Many people celebrate Christmas today without really knowing what or why they are celebrating. And so they just get caught up in the insanity that Christmas has become. By the way, if you want to know why Christmas is shortened to Xmas, well, the real, real reason is that X actually represents the Greek letter Chi, which is the first letter of the name for Christ in Greek, Christos. So just a little bit of trivia for you. So in this series that we're doing, in the lead up to Christmas, we're endeavouring to bring some sanity back into the mix and focus our attention on why we celebrate the birth of Jesus into the world 2,000 years ago. Last week, we saw how Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, which was pronounced 700 years before Jesus was actually born. And Isaiah said that a ruler 
would come and he would usher in a kingdom which would be characterised by peace, justice and wise government. Now in Isaiah's time, the people were being threatened by outside powers. It was a dangerous, precarious time. It was a frightening time. And so for the people living in Isaiah's time, this was a big dream, a hope. But it gave people a hope for a better future. As indeed it should for us. As we wait for that time and one day we will meet the Lord Jesus face to face in heaven. So this, this week, we're going to look at something else worth celebrating. And that is, we have a God who is interested in us and wants to communicate with us. We live in a society which recognises the necessity of good communication. In the world of commerce, millions are spent on persuasive advertising And it's become a very highly developed technique and one of recognised financial importance. And politicians know how vital it is to communicate effectively. Diplomats recognise the immense dangers that can arise in international affairs when there occurs a serious breakdown in communication. And then close to home, when we look at our families... We find stresses arising in situations when uh, partners in a marriage, for example, merely talk to each other but fail to effectively communicate with each other. Communication is important. But the letter to the Hebrews, which we just heard Alec read to us, it begins by asserting the greatest single fact of the Christian revelation. God, almighty God, has spoken to people. He's spoken through his word in the Bible and he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, God has closed perhaps the greatest communication gap of all time. And that's the gap which exists between a holy, perfect God and sinful human beings. I want to look a bit more closely at Hebrews chapter 1. That's the first four verses, in fact. It starts by saying, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, unlike other religions, the God of the Bible speaks. He is a living God. And if we go right to the the start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, we see God speaking and he speaks the universe, the whole of creation into existence. God speaks and things come into being. And then as we read a bit further on, we see God speaking in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. And then we see him speaking to Noah and later on to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then later we see God speaking to Moses, face to face indeed. And then as we move, continue to move through the Old Testament, we see God speaking to his people through various Old Testament prophets. God communicates to people. 
through the prophets in various ways, in different ways. Sometimes it's through spoken words. Sometimes they are public pronouncements, sometimes in private. Sometimes it's through written words and sometimes by the actions of the prophets. Sometimes it's through dreams and visions. But through all this, through the Old Testament, you see how God warned his people. He encouraged his people. He rebuked them and he guided his people. And he did this by speaking through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But then this was God speaking in the past. Christmas 2,000 years ago ushered in a dramatic change. The writer in the Hebrews says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son. And when it says by these last days, the writer means that the span of time that began with the coming of God's Son, Jesus, and continued up to when this letter was being written. But that span of time has, of course, continued up into our day. And we are still living in the days of the Son and we will do so until Jesus returns. Now, just an aside, this doesn't mean that we forget, a, forget about what the Old Testament says, that we can disregard it. It's a done deal. Indeed, the writer to the Hebrews sees the Old Testament as setting out the basic shape of our obedience to God, our relationship to God. And he regards the people of faith in the Old Testament as, as examples for us today and to the people to whom he is writing. You see, the Old Testament is important because it contains the promises of God. And those promises were fulfilled in Jesus. For example, the Old Testament sacrifices. These sacrifices had a purpose. They were, they were true and worthy in themselves. But they also pointed beyond themselves to their fulfilment in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The Old Testament sacrificial system helps us to understand what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross. Now, the book of Hebrews is all about God. It's a great book. And this is a living God who speaks, who communicates with his creation. And in Hebrews, we'll find that the main focus of God speaking is his son, Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us by his son. And he has communicated his will and purpose for us through his son. And if that should be a wake-up call to us, because what that means is we need to understand who this son is and just what his message is, what he is communicating to us. Hebrews is a book about Jesus. And the writer moves on in the opening section to give seven facts about God's son. Yep, it's going to be a seven-point sermon. Brace yourselves. <laughs> These characteristics are all contained in the first couple of verses, so we don't need to go too far. And these characteristics describe or demonstrate the greatness of Jesus and why he is the clearest and final revelation of God. 
Firstly, he has been appointed heir of all things. See, because Jesus is God's son, he is also his heir. Everything belongs to Jesus on earth, in heaven, and in the age to come. His inheritance is the people for whom he died, for whom he gave his life, as well as the entire universe which is under his rule. And then secondly, through him God also made the universe. See, the whole created universe of time and space was made by God through his Son. So Jesus' rule and his inheritance are not intrusive or unwarranted, but they are just natural. They are his by right. They were given to him by God. And let me say that Jesus was no mere Galilean preacher. He was no ordinary man because he shared actively in the creative work of Almighty God. The Son... Oops, next. The Son is also the radiance of God's glory. Now, this is a bit of a term we need to get our heads around. For the ancient Hebrews, the glory of God was a visible and outward expression of the incredible, the majestic, the wonderful presence of God. When Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, what happened there was the, the glory of God settled over the mountain in a vast crowd and there was thunder and lightning. The people were told, just do not set foot on this mountain or you will die. It was an awesome experience, but this is the glory of God visibly manifest. And as the, as the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness, we see this glory of God going before them in a pillar of, of cloud and of fire. And there was what was called a tent of meeting where Moses went and met with God and the glory of God came over the tent of meeting as, God met, as Moses met with God face to face. It was a visible sign of God's presence with his people. And we jump forward a bit. Uh, we see later on in the, hist- in the Israelites' history, the Ark of the Covenant was actually captured by the Philistines. And the people lamented that the glory of the Lord had departed. The physical presence of God had departed from them. Now, says the writer to the Hebrews, in these last days, this same glory has been seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus who reflects or radiates God's glory, all God's greatness. And majesty shines through the sun. So when we become believers, we not only receive God's character, we not only receive his gifts and his presence through Jesus, but we also receive God himself. And Jesus is the light of God, the glory of God which burns and shines among us and in us and through us. And Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus truly and fully shows us the the character of God. When we see what the Son is like, 
we see exactly what God is like. There's no private side of God obscured behind a public side revealed in Jesus. The true and full character of God is made clear and open to us in Jesus. People have trouble imagining what God in heaven is like. How do we get our heads around an infinite God? But if we want to know what God is really like, we can look to Jesus. He is the exact representation of God's being. This is the way God has communicated himself, what he's like to us through Jesus. And then fifthly, Jesus also sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus carries forward God's purposes for all creation with his mighty enabling word. Just as God spoke and created created the universe at his command through the Son, so by God's will and word, the Son goes on sustaining and upholding all things in heaven and on earth. You see, the word of Jesus, as we shared earlier, is powerful. There is power in Jesus' name. There is powerful in the word, power in the word that he speaks. And he is able to do what he determines to do. Think about it. He created the universe. He is a God of power. When he speaks, things happen. What he commands is done. And then we move on from who Jesus is to what he has done. He has provided purification for sins. You see, as well as his cosmic and internal work, there is his personal work in history for humans, for us. Jesus died on the cross, and when he did, he won forgiveness for us by making us clean from his sins. As we had a baptism this morning, and we symbolically wash a person in baptism. It symbolizes how we are washed clean of our sins. We don't have to carry the guilt of sin around anymore. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross. And Jesus is God's unrepeatable sacrificial provision for the greatest problem of mankind, and that is sin. The completeness and finality of this sacrificial act is shown in this final phrase, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When he had finished his work of purification, Jesus just didn't stay dead. His work was done. He rose again from the dead and he's now seated in the place of highest honour in the entire universe. He's seated at the right hand of God. His work of achieving purification of sins was over. It was finished. It was completed. And his offering of himself on our behalf was accepted. And he is now honoured by God the Father in heaven. And he now rules and cares and forgives with full divine power and authority. The writer to the Hebrews wants to make sure we appreciate the great significance of Jesus as God's Son, our Lord and our Saviour. 
Jesus is the true representation of God. He is the centre and purpose of all creation, which he holds together by his almighty power. And it is the world in which he died for our forgiveness. It is this world over which he rules and in which he offers us the wonder of a personal relationship with him for eternity, forever. This is the Christ of Christmas. And I think many people lose sight of this and the crazy insanity that goes on around Christmas. What most people see or like to see is the baby in the manger. Small, frail, vulnerable, helpless. Babies are safe. They don't threaten us. And so people are happy to keep Jesus in the manger. And yes, there is some mystery and mystique of surrounding his conception and birth, but that just tends to reinforce the fairy tale imagery of the event. However, what is more confronting is the image of Jesus bleeding and dying on the cross. People look away. They prefer to look away from the pain and agony and suffering of the cross. However, we ignore this part of him at our peril. We need to recognise him as almighty God who humbled himself and came into the world to communicate ever so clearly God's will and purpose for his people, for us. You see, God wants to have a relationship with us. And through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, he has made it possible for us to be reconciled with our Lord God. And as he has done since the dawn of creation, God speaks and he continues to speak to us today. We only need to open our ears and our eyes to what he wants us to know about him and his purposes for our lives. And we do this by getting to know this son who reveals the father in heaven. And so this Christmas is a good reason to celebrate the fact that Jesus came into this world to save sinners and to rescue us from spending an eternity in hell. So in the midst of the insanity of Christmas, we do well to focus our attention on what Jesus has done for us and give him the honour and praise and recognition and glory and worship and adoration he so truly deserves. Would you pray with me? Our dear Lord, you are indeed an awesome God. Our Lord, we pray that we will keep focused on you this Christmas. You have spoken through your word. You've spoken into our hearts. Our Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us minds to understand what you want us to hear and learn of you this Christmas. Help us to see again afresh the wonder of the miracle of your birth. 
and what you came to do in our world and how it has so impacted our lives to this point and for eternity. So, Lord, we lift up your name, your powerful name, and we pray in that name. Amen. Oh, Q&A. Yeah. <laughs> I did that purposely, Stuart. <laughs> Any questions? Comments? Peter? Was Jesus born in December in the winter? Good question. <laughs> I don't think we really know exactly when Jesus was born. Um, December 25th was chosen in Roman times because it corresponded with one of the Roman festivals and so they just aligned it with the Christian celebration of Jesus' birth. So it's probably plus or minus a couple of months on either side of that. We don't know exactly when. Can you shed any more light on that? He will at Christmas? Okay. Come back for Christmas, Stuart. It will reveal all at Christmas. We can't wait. <laughs> Bit of home week there, mate. <laughs> Good question, though. It doesn't really matter when we celebrate it. It's, it's good to actually have a point in time where we actually can say, yes, Jesus did come into this world miraculously and he came for a purpose and he fulfilled that purpose. Okay. Anyone else? Hey, Bill. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's another sermon. Um, Jesus came to more and did more than just... Yeah, I'm going to repeat or try to repeat it. Oh, you can, re you can say the question again, Bill. Can you repeat it? Jesus came more to, than just to uh, bring us forgiveness for our sins. Um, there are a whole lot of other benefits. We, we are forgiven in God's sight. We receive eternal life. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We um, receive... Um, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, we, we are drawn into a closer personal relationship with God. That, that bridge has been um, connected between us and God so that we can know our Lord personally, intimately. We can pray to him. He hears us. He responds to us. So all of that is achieved by Jesus dying on the cross, taking our sins upon himself. We're clean. We, we can enter into the presence of a holy, perfect God. And before Jesus did that, we couldn't because we weren't perfect and we couldn't come into the presence of God without being cleansed. And Jesus was the only one able to do that cleansing process. Yeah? Yep, supplementary. <laughs> you took the microphone. One of the supplementary is the area of healing. In the yeah. Levitical law, Was there, if someone was sick... Was there anything that they did that Jesus came and fulfilled? Um, yes. Um, how do we answer that one? We are encouraged to pray 
and to pray for God's intervention, for God's healing. Um, and God's will for us is to be whole and healthy, right? Um, that's um, a fundamental fact. But the other fundamental thing is that we, we still live in a sinful, fallen world. So we're still subject to uh, the frailties of age, we're still subject to sickness. But um, God can and does respond to prayers for healing. Um, and it's just not in um, certain churches that believe in healing. Anglicans believe in healing. You, we have this thing called the, the prayer book. And there's prayers for healing within the prayer book. There's the standard prayers that are set out for daily uh, reading in church. Uh, pray for healing. There's a prayer for healing for people who are sick. Now, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't pray it. But it's, it's a fundamental belief that God can and does heal. As it goes back into the Levitical times, um, Christ's death was a once and for all time and it reached back. It, it was effective for those who had gone before people of faith. In the letter to the Hebrews, it mentions people of faith like Abraham and others uh, who had faith in God. And Jesus said, to be honest, I'm not really sure how it all works, Bill. Um, Mm. Uh, yeah, chat a bit. Yeah, there, there are things that the various thing. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look it up to be double <laughs> exactly sure to give you the right answer on that. But there are processes and and. It's these rituals that people were uh, instructed to do when people got sick in various ways, shapes or forms. So uh, there's, there's issues of cleanness and uncleanness. You have to be clean to be able to go into the temple to, or the tabernacle to worship. And um, if people were sick at any time, there was a cleansing process that they had to go through to make them right. Yep, okay. Anyone else? Gee, I like the curly questions. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, Michael, you're on.